Hello, and welcome to the Noise Creators Podcast. My name is Jesse Cannon, and I'll be your host. I'm a record producer, mixer, and engineer, and I wrote a book called Get More Fans, the DIY Guide to the New Music Business. I'm also one of the founders of Noise Creators. Today, I'm going to talk to James Alex of the band Beach Slang, who are a fantastic, fantastic band out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I wanted to talk to him because, as you'll hear in this interview, he's been making great music for 20 years, and not many people can do that. While many people see Beach Slang as a new band that's got all this new band hype, the truth is, is he's been at this for quite a while, and I wanted to get some insight on how they're achieving this amazing level of just band being on fire and being so fresh and new despite being in the game for a long time, and it really is impressive. Their last full length was... One of my favorite records made my top 10 from last year, and they just entered the studio. We got some thoughts on what we can expect from that new record. So please, without further ado, check out this interview, and also go back and listen to their album in two EPs, since they are fantastic. Also, please excuse some of the poor audio quality on this episode. It's not so bad, but I wish it were better, but uh, I was sadly so sick I had to do this podcast laying in bed instead of going into the studio. One second before we get started with this interview. Noise Creators is able to do these cool podcasts because we're a service, and we're trying to get the word out about our service to people. So if you enjoy this podcast, it's really, really important that you share it to people so more people can get to know what we're doing, trying to connect musicians with producers to make better music and make better records for you all to listen to. So please, please, please help us out. If you like this and like what we're doing, Share it, tweet it, Facebook it, Instagram it, Tumble it, whatever you like to do, do that. As well, we're going to start doing a really cool thing. If there's a great quote from these podcasts that you really enjoy, put it on a graphic, tweet it, Facebook it, take a picture of it, and send it to us at Noise Creators on every single one of the social networks. And what we're going to do is we're going to share the best ones, and if you're one of the best ones... We're going to send you a list of prizes we have. We have a bunch of cool, rare things from bands that aren't as much of a use to us. We have a couple of extras of rare pressings of vinyl, all sorts of cool stuff. You can choose from a list, and we'll send that out to you for free if you share a really cool quote that we like and we use. Thanks so much for helping out, and please, please, please help us spread the word on our service. Thanks. So I guess I'll start off this by saying, to give context, is that your old band indirectly kind of got me my first two jobs. And oh, wow. I went to a club called The Pipeline to see you guys in about 1995 or 6. And the opening band couldn't get the bass DI to work, and I fixed the DI, and then the promoter asked me to do sound there. And then, <laughs> uh, and then after that, I got a job offer at Go-Kart Records, and the only reason I took it was I was like, well, Weston's good. Oh, right. <laughs> right on, man. <laughs> so I started working there probably at the tail end of when you guys had done Matinee and the Doc Hopper split. Okay. Yeah, so, no, that's incredible, man. That's, right on, so, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was a funny thing. And then years later, I was producing a band called Somos on Tiny Engines. Oh, and sure. They said, you got to hear this bad beach like I went, this is amazing. And then one day I was telling somebody to listen to it. They're like, you know, that's the guy from Weston, right? I was oh. like, There's no fucking way. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so I, 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm stalking you in life, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or vice versa, but uh, it, was, it was it was pretty funny and like, but it really one of the reasons I really wanted to do an interview with you is um, it is very rare that I've ever th- thought anybody's been writing great songs for twenty years. So I wanted to get inside some of your head about what's made that possible. Oh, right on, man. Thank you. So I guess the first place I'd love to start is, so obviously you started off, West and I Imagine was one of your first bands? Yeah, yeah, man. You know, I, I did the like, you know, first learning how to play guitar and you'd sort of get in a bedroom with like a friend of yours and just mm-hmm. mash around. But those were never like bands, you know, mm-hmm. just like sort of, yeah, first exploring the idea of picking up an instrument and making noise, you know. Nice. And so, yeah. so you guys were a band for about a decade, I guess? About a decade, yeah. And so, was there anything that you really learned from Weston that has equipped you for this second wave of what you're going through now, of the very rare thing of having success 20 years after the first record that people kind of came to you in punk rock? Sure, man. Yeah, I, you know, I think so. I, I think the biggest thing is like, you know, you sort of learn from like your missteps, right? I, mm-hmm. I, I think sort of all the things we did wrong have been like sort of the greatest, like sort of learning lessons. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and not that like you're not appreciating it sort of in its time, mm-hmm. but when you sort of lose this thing that means so much to you and mm-hmm. you're lucky enough to get it back, it's like, I grip this thing with everything I have now, you know, like mm. it's not lost on me, like how, you know, I, I was, I was really empty and missing that thing when it wasn't there. And, and, um, now it's, it's like a death grip, you know, I really, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm real. I feel real lucky and real fortunate to have it back. So I, uh, sincerely, there's not a moment that's lost on me for how, how lucky I am to sort of have another strike at this. Right. So yeah, I suppose that, but you know, Bigger than that, it, it, and I, I guess speaking more to the creative process, mm. I never really wrote songs before Weston, right? Mm. So it was like I learned a tremendous amount from uh, Dave and Chuck mm-hmm. in, in in that band. You know how to how to write songs, right? N- not only melody and, and harmony and things like that, but just like right, you have so you, have, you sort of have your like core or chord progression, right? But then it's like these sort of like little chord fragments or little two note patterns that sort of go with those chord structures that really sort of bring sound to life. Like all of that stuff I learned from those guys, you know? Mm. Yeah. And I, you know, and I'm incredibly thankful, right? It's kind of like, right. I was in love with the idea of writing songs, but I would listen to records and be like, how do you do that? And I sort of got this cool backstage pass of like, this is how you do it. And then I figured, okay, well, now that I've seen how to do it, let me have a go at it, you know, and 20 years later, I'm still having a go at it, right? Nice. Yeah. And you guys got to work with some pretty big producers at the time. Like, if I I remember, there was even, like, a major label courtship thing going on for you guys for a while and all that fun stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was, those were, those were those days, you know? Uh Yeah. Was there anything you learned from that kind of thing? Of when, uh, you know, the, the back of the days they would, I mean, I guess people aren't, might not even be familiar with this, but there used to be these demo deals. And I think you guys did that at one point, right? Like We did. We did one for RCA, yeah. 
And like, basically, it'd be like they'd throw you in a studio with a guy who knows what he's doing, quote unquote, and <laughs> see if it then sounded okay. Right. Was there anything you guys learned when it came to that, and then what you moved on from from there? Yeah, I mean, I, you know what, you know what I think we learned, man, is like not to lose sight of like our guts. Mm. You know, it's like as soon as we stopped listening to that little that little tick we all have inside of us, right? Mm-hmm. That's when it sort of started to crumble, and I think we lost sight of the of the reason we sort of did the thing in the first place and not only did it, I think connected with the people we were playing for. Right. It was Mm. like, and then we just got, we just got, look at the end of the day, right. We have to take responsibility for it, but just got kind of blown off course by, you know, things we chose to believe being young and not really Mm. super informed about things. Right. And we were just sort of going with it and getting, I I suppose, getting caught up in it. Right. Mm -hmm. That, that was, that was the most critical, I'd say professional mistake we made. Um, Mm. And I don't think, t- to your point about like, did you run into that and then sort of correct it? We we never really corrected it, right? Mm. It just sort of led to this. It just kept declining from there and in, in, into its sort of ultimate demise. Now, and to make it go full circle to your earlier question. That's the stuff I carry away in beach slang. And so far, you know, we haven't made those sort of errors because I'm not, I did that before and I saw what it led to. I'm not interested in repeating it, you know? Yes. And it seems like you guys have been choosing a very grassroots path ever since then. Without a doubt, man. And like everybody we end up bringing into the, into the gang, you know, be it a label or a booking Mm. agent, it all has to feel like family, right? It it just feels like if it's not somebody we, we would play in this band with, we don't want to work with them, you know, and that's even like label. I mean, that's why we went with polyvinyl. It was just like, Mm -hmm. they started that label being kids who put on hall shows, who like Xerox zines, who like really understood it from like the ground up. And that was something that I'm clutching to at this point, because I just, it just informs your sort of ethical decisions to me about sort of how you treat bands and the scene and sort of the thinking behind it all, you know, for us, this isn't, a marketing gimmick sort of plastic vapid thing. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is, you know, this, this, I love this thing called rock and roll. Right. And I want to surround myself with people who feel that same way. And we have the good fortune of, of having done that quite well so far and, you know, only continue to do it. Right. I love that. And yeah. I think that that's an interesting thing is like, you know, so Polyvinyl obviously was starting right about the time of Weston. Uh, I can remember them putting out like Rainer Maria records back then first hearing of them through that. So you're able though, and I think like, you know, I imagine we're about the same age and I think a lot of people get really alienated when they have to go back out and be around the kids again. Right. I mean, I, I did some other interview listening to your thing and you seem to have still have a real childlike passion, which I really admire and identify with. Is there been anything that's been able to keep you so positive that and going with it? When, you know, I think that there's inevitably some things where when you're around younger people, it can be like, uh, you know, like most people our age are like, oh, these fucking kids and their cell phones and Snapchatting <laughs> and things like that. Right. Is there anything you take with you that makes it, I mean, a lot of people even what you did, like, you know, getting back in the van and playing to 200 seat venues, that's a hard thing for people to get their head around doing again. Right, man. I think, you know, man, I, I, I really just, I, I really just attribute it to, I, I either I picked the right thing or the right thing picked me, right? This Mm. is just what I love doing. So there's, there's no sort of decline in energy for it for me. You know, I'm like, 
you know, you know that really beautiful energy you'll see in like an 85 year old who will go get tattooed for the first time because they just have, <laughs> you know what I mean? They just have this, that roar of life in them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it, I, I guess I just have that chip in me. Right. I just, it's that, you know, like that whole, like Hunter S Thompson thing about wanting to go skidding into the grave. You know, uh-huh. I, I, I believe that man, I, I want to live it all the way to the end. I, I, I get all the notions about age and all those things, but I, I, I guess I suppose I just don't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I just like, I do this thing that I love and it, and it's fun. And I, I'm a, when I'm around like younger people now, like kind of getting turned onto the scene or kind of mm-hmm. just starting to come up in it, you know, man, I see myself, right. I, I, I was that kid. Right. So I just get like, kind of fired up. It puts this really sweet little crooked smile on my face. It's not like, these damn kids. It's like, yeah, these damn kids, you know, it's like, we need that next generation of like people that are going to keep this, this holy little thing alive, you know? So yeah, man, for me, there's no, I really don't feel separation. Look, man, rock and roll is a beautiful place for somebody who's sort of subscribed to an, you know, this arrested state of development sort of, I was referred to as an adult teenager once in in an article. (laughs) And like, I I loved that, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, and that was said with love, you know, I know the writer and I, I know that that came from a really healthy place. And I was like, I'm going to wear that so proudly. I, I just, mm-hmm. yeah, man, I've just, I've just seen too many people, too many friends of mine, like just sort of compromise themselves in their lives. And I'm like, yeah, all right, we're not 20 anymore, but we've still got a long time to be alive, you know, like make it count. Right. Um, I love that. Yeah. I suppose it's that man. I, I just, I think I'm just sort of wired to like see glasses half full, you know, I mean, I'm, mm. you know, it's like, I, I, I was reading this thing once and it, and it talked about how happiness is this active pursuit, right? You just, uh, yes. you, know, you know what I mean? And it's like, I choose to actively pursue that, right. I surround myself with people I love, you know, things I love doing. It's, it's not rocket science, right? It's just like, mm-hmm. do the thing that makes you happy kind of vibe. Um, yeah, man, I, I try to do that. I don't know. I'm, I, and, I, you know, look, man, I suppose I'm lucky enough to be able to do that thing. It's all I do now, right? Is mm-hmm. get, to make, get to make these dumb songs, you know? Mm-hmm. But, like, even when I wasn't doing that and I was going into the day job, you know, I was coming home and picking up my guitar or sitting down and writing words, right? It's just like... And, and, and that's, that's the thing I've seen my friends lose is just like, sort of once you're, you've convinced yourself, well, it's over for me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to sit at the desk and I'm just going to go to this job that I hate. You sort of, you sort of like pack your guitar away, you know? And, I, and I'm just like, there's no better time to, to take it out. Right. Um, uh-huh. yeah. So I, I suppose I, sh- I've struck that balance, you know, that's really, really great. And I, I th- think for the first thing is I really like your Hunter S. Thompson and your other examples because I always use the example of in John Waters' biography where he talks about his like 60th or 70th birthday where he's like, what haven't I done? And he's like, oh, I've never smoked crack. And he leaves his birthday party and goes to the student <laughs> of Baltimore and smokes crack. So I usually say that example about how I stay young and how I keep challenging myself to have fun and enjoy That's my it. life. So I think I'm going to use the ones you just said from now on since I don't so I don't look so crazy and talk about smoking <laughs> crack from now on when I explain this. Um, Fantastic, man. I love it. But uh, – <laughs> What I really like, you know, there's so much talk of how long, like, you know, after that Malcolm Gladwell outliers book, it got to be like, you need to play for 10,000 hours for you to be an expert or something. But so much of music is celebrated in the youth. And I think to me, like, one of the things I really appreciate about your records is how much depth there is to the songwriting. And 
that doesn't come to 17-year-olds very easy. That takes time, and I think that is the, like, a great point you have of like, that's the time to bring out the guitar, and that's the time to write the song because now you have something to write about. That That's just it, man, right? It's like, like life just kind of brings, you know, some bangs and bruises to it, and it mm-hmm. also brings some really beautiful things, right? But it all becomes this sort of great mashing of like interesting things to write about. And yeah. And, and, and that's it. And here, and, and here I am like choosing to sort of frame them with my guitar. You know, I, I don't, I, I, I didn't have that point of view when I first started. I mean, you know, I look back at those songs and like, I loved coming up, you know, mm-hmm. in, in, in like that band and stuff, but I didn't, I didn't really know what the hell I was writing about. You know, I was just kind of like, you know, writing about trying to find a girlfriend or something, but they were all like sort of that base level sort of stuff, you know, stuff I was basically just emulating from like songs I had heard before. I never really had my own sort of point of view. And to your point, you know, it took time to find that. And maybe, maybe I'm starting to scratch the surface on that now, which, which feels, feels cool. You know, I, I was worth the wait, it turns out. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I like that. So in between Weston, you had Cordova, that's correct? That's correct, yeah. I'd remembered listening to some of that back in the day. This is a distinctly different sound. Is there anything that when you formed Beachleg, was there like a hypothesis? Like, was there something that you were like, all right, I'm going to do this different? Like, was there anything particularly in your mind that was a plan for this band or is it just kind of what you were writing? Yeah, well, you know, man, it's like I've always said, like, with this band, it's going to be like, all the decisions are going to be made with my gut, not my head. Right. I think the only sort of pre formatted thing I said was, I just want to be completely honest, like Mm. no more sort of hiding a part of myself or like being afraid of like, well, what happens if, Mm. you know, fill in the blank. Right. I just kind of wanted to be like, I wanted to be brave for once, you know, Mm. I wanted to just sort of hang it out there. And if it's like, if no one likes it, it's like, okay, I can at least say to myself, I did that thing that for me took courage to do. And if it connects, that's fantastic too. You know, now I put myself out there and maybe it relates to people, right? That was really, those were maybe the only two points. And the rest of it was that sort of replacements approach. Now let's just get in a room, plug in, turn up and just be this wild little hurricane of noise. You know, it just like, I wanted it to be, a rock and roll band, you know, like not really overthought, you know, like, you know, to that point, like we're in the studio now making the second LP. I wrote, I wrote almost all of these songs in the last two weeks. Like these guys were, yeah, these guys, I was teaching them the songs the first two days we were in the studio Mm -hmm. and we started recording yesterday. Like there's a, there's something urgent and fantastic in that approach, you know, where it's like, here it is from like comes spills out of my guts into our amps and in, in, into like the listener's ears, you know, it's just like, there's no, there's no overthinking and putting all this like goopy gloss on top of things. It's just like, it's just going to feel honest. And that goes back to, to really the only foundational thing I was thinking with beach slang is I just want it to be honest. So I yeah. love that. Um, yeah, a lot of I've been writing a book on creativity and music for the past couple of years, and I think everybody I talk to who makes great music, it's when they find the most potent way to get out of them what they are, and they don't. I love what you said about brave. I've not heard anybody say it that way, and it's so good about like I'm going to bear my soul, and it's never I'm going to make the music people other people uh, make the music other people want to hear. I'm going to make what I want, and I'm going to take that risk. 
and that's always what works. It may not always work to everybody liking it, but that's the only way it works because if you make music that other people want to hear, it goes terrible. That's right. You're, you're absolutely right, my man. No doubt. Yeah. Um, so you touched on about five things I wanted to get into. So you just talked about how you just wrote these songs in a flurry. So how, from the EPs of the last record, was that writing process any different? What were the EPs like and what was the LP like versus this? Was that more of a long-term writing thing or was it kind of the similar thing? Pretty similar, man. Um, I, I really don't like things to sit on the shelf very long. To me, hmm. then, it's just like, because, you know, if by the time we're playing them, we're not excited about them anymore, how do we... How do we transfer that energy to people hearing them for the first time, right? I really, I really like to kind of keep things moving. I mean, the process is basically the same, right? It's like writing for me is a very isolating process. I, I really sort of, I do, I just want to do that alone, right? And I, so I sort of have this little room in my place and I just sort of demo these things out and, you know, they're noisy and fuzzy and sloppy and stuff, but, but all the stuff's there, you know? all the chords, all the harmonies, all the guitar, little overdubs, all those things. Then I just, I send those out to the guys, they hear them. Then we get in a room and just make them loud. You know, it's like, and it's that sort of, it's like an, just an urgent process at that point. Right. Yeah. I don't know why I've always, I've never been like a get in the room and jam kind of, kind of, kind of person, you know? And like, I, I, I see value in that for sure. It's just, it doesn't, it, it just never worked for me. You know, I, I just, I suppose I've always been a little too, uh, introverted and shy to sort of mess up in mm. front of people. I kind of want to come with like fully realized ideas and then mess them up, you know, mm. like, cause then I can do it because then I know I'm, I'm sitting on top of some sort of foundation that I'm secure with. Right. But to just kind of be in a room sort of noodling and that just doesn't feel, it just doesn't feel like the thing I'm, I'm trying to do. Right. Then it just becomes these, I'm not trying to write seven minute opuses. I'm trying to write two and a half minute loud rock songs, you know? So no. yeah, man. So we just kind of do it like that. And then, yeah, just sort of, we record with our friend Dave. So mm -hmm. typically I'll just call him up and be like, we're ready to go, man. Can we come in? And whew, you know, we're, we're sort of in relatively quickly doing the thing. So it doesn't, it doesn't have time to second guess itself. And I, I like that, you know, I get getting back to like shooting from the gut, you know, mm -hmm. I think it's like, you leave your time, yourself time to, you know, to just overthink things. And that's when it typically the, the gut reaction, like that first thing is, 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 is typically, typically the right idea, you know, I find. So try to not lose sight of that. No, and I think you you just touched on an interesting thing too. So was, was there something that you learned about getting into the studio fast and with that momentum and not wait, waiting long? Cause I do tend to find like that is like, I don't know that it's always necessary, but it is a good secret sauce for making a great record of that. The songs are fresh and still at that point where they're feeling really exciting to you and doing a record then seems to really make a difference compared to I've beaten this to death or we write songs really slow. And it, the first song of this batch was written nine months ago. Right. Right. Yeah. That stuff sounds just, painstaking to me right <laughs> it's like like once we start so we've been in the studio for two days mm -hmm. the drums are already done and we're cutting bass takes now it's nice. just like, like like that's almost if it doesn't move at that pace for us you can just see everybody starting to like cabin fever already you know mm. it's just like we're just like that's what it is for us man we're, mm. we're not you know it's just for us i don't know it's it's almost like i remember first coming in We've recorded all of our records with Dave mm -hmm. and it was basically like my initial explanation to him was we basically 
I, I just basically want this to be a live record with better microphones, mm. you know, like, and that's sort of the approach. We, we don't do the like, okay, we do a take and now it's like, we're going to shift individual bass drum beats. So they perfectly line up, you uh -huh. know, we're, we're not interested in that. We're, uh, if it feels right, it's right. You know, even if it's technically not so much, you know? Uh -huh. Yeah. And do I recall Weston did an all first takes record? Oh yeah, sure. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You, you, yeah. Sat, you sat mildly hesitant on that one. Like, Oh, that was a good idea. Or was that? Well, about? I think, I think the, uh, the idea was fantastic. Um, I'm not sure we had the chops to, <laughs> you know, to, to pull it off, but the idea, Idea was great and i think the uh the spirit of that idea is really wonderful and mm -hmm. i and i suppose you know i've sort of you know that little spark has stayed in me since then you know the idea of that of really capturing that like even if it isn't perfect it's real you know i like that i like that thinking you know albeit you know i try to do things a little more right these days you uh -huh. know it's uh the, the the idea of that's really still really wonderful to me Nice. So music, lyrics first, what, 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 what happens when you're on your own in that place? And I imagine you're fletching these demos out pretty hard if you guys are able to do this. I imagine it's pretty full bore, like you're even writing drum parts and stuff like that. Yeah, I'll do like, like yeah, little, little, little finger drums and stuff <laughs> and sort of notate. Now, now, you know, with that said, you know, when we, when we do get into a room live, you know, our drummer's fantastic. Our yes. bassist is fantastic. It's like, this uh -huh. isn't like a do as I say. This is like, man, if you hear something, that's your instrument. And, and typically they'll do it and I'll stop a song and be like that. That's perfect. Like I couldn't have dreamed that up. I'm not a drummer. Right. So it's like, it's a guided democracy. You know what I mean? For sure. Gotcha. This, this isn't like a, yeah, exactly. Yeah, man. So yeah, man, it's, it's that right. They're, like I'll get in there. I, I remember reading this interview with, you know, black Francis, Frank black, you know, it, he, uh, and he was like, he said, he just, he'll play his guitar just screaming and searching and doing all this thing till he has what he called an eargasm, right? Just that moment where your hairs stand up and you just, it's like, ah, there's something in that, whatever it might be, you know, a couple of notes it could be, right? But there's some sort of magic that sort of beamed itself on that little part. I suppose my approach is kind of, of that. I, you know, he expressed it a lot more eloquently than I would have without hear, having read that interview. But it's like, yeah, man, I just get in there with my guitar and I just sort of go at it searching for for melody right for melody and for vowel sounds and i don't know why that is like vowel sounds really help guide me i once i sort of find those things it's all gibberish that i'm saying but i'm looking for those right vowel sounds and then once i got that chord thing with like that melody then i get to sink my teeth in the lyrics which you know i really love man i, I mm -hmm. wanted to be a writer since i was like a little a little kid you know so that part to me is really fun once i can kind of the hard work for me is getting that chord progression and melody stuff. I find that to be the most difficult. Once I have that, I really, I really love the lyric part of the whole thing, you know? No, and I think that's one of the things that people override it. But I do find it interesting you're talking about the vowels thing because one of my favorite parts of your songs is like that you often do just syllabic, like do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do's and yeah. things like that that really work at the right time as the songs. Oh, right on, man. Yeah, you know, well, you know, I believe in simplicity, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I think it's great when you can jam nine chords into a song or have really complicated, like, like I, I, you know, I look at people that are really prodigy-esque, you know, as like, wow, that's really amazing. But like, for me, man, simplicity is, I'm like, 
you know, what's, what's the, what's the saying, the three chords and the truth, the country music thing. It's right. like, <laughs> it, that's not really far off for me. Right. I, I don't, mm-hmm. for me, I, you don't really need a lot of chords. You just need to like really kind of slam your heart into it, you know? And if it comes from this place, it's going to connect, you know, I've, you know, I, I, I was raised by my mom and she would always play like early, you know, early Beatles and like early Beach Boys records. So that like that pop stuff, you know, was just ingrained in me since I was a little kid. And I suppose like, you know, that stuff connects with me, you know, that that stuff that you'll find yourself sort of humming when you're you don't even really want to be humming it. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like those melodies are just hooky. You know, I read this interview with like Stephen Merritt once and he said uh-huh. uh, there's only two types of music that really matter, pop and avant garde, you know, and I was oh. like, well, bubblegum and avant garde. And I was like, uh-huh. I was like, man, that's a really, really cool cool thing, you know? And I suppose I fall more on that, more on that bubblegum side. It's just yeah. sort of loud and imperfect, but it's, it's really that approach. I mean, if it stripped down to their core, they're kind of pop songs, you know? Totally. And yeah. I, I think that there's a, there's a thing I often talk about, like when I work with bands is like that, like, all right, in the progression of your working, are we trying to innovate and bring a new influence into the thing you do? Or are we just trying to execute what you do better? And I think that's a discussion that often really helps it if it's like, okay, do are we pro- going to worry about doing something avant-garde or are we going to do- worry about the bubble gum and be more hooky and be better right. at what you do? Right. So with that said, is this record more of an execution? Is there anything new that we should expect? I would say things are evolved. I mean, I, I, I brought in like starting to explore, you know, more of my other sort of things I really love in music, like a lot of Swerve Driver and like mm. Catherine Wheel and stuff like that. That sort of like just that really sort of beautiful, sort of like powery shoegaze stuff. You know, you mm-hmm. know, you know, you know the stuff I'm talking about. Like, yeah, I, 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 Mezcal Head's one of my favorite records of oh, all time. Man, without without question, right? So it's yeah. like I think you know a lot of that is bleeding into this record. I like. I definitely, here's another, you know, I forgot this earlier, but this, this Mm. ties in nicely to what we're speaking about here. This is another lesson learned from the time in Weston. It was like, by the time we started trying to want to evolve and we were, we already pinned ourselves into a corner and like people who kind of liked our band weren't interested in us evolving. Mm. So I think what I'm trying to do with beach flying is to sort of, even if it's at a sort of a, a tiny stepped pace is to sort of make sure people aren't just like, no, just keep writing filthy luck forever, you know? And you know what I mean? And I think that I, and I think that that's happening. So yeah, man, I don't think it's like, I'm, I'm certainly not trying to go avant-garde. I mean, that's just certainly not, (laughs) just not what we're about. Right. But it's definitely like, yeah, it's, but it's evolving. How about, uh, the evolution, it's bubblegum evolution for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, it's definitely, you know, I I never want to Xerox a record. So I'm, I'm painfully aware you know, taking steps to, to, to not do that, albeit not going so far as, you know, reinventing the thing, you know? So one of the things you brought up, bro, is like what the fans, so one of the things I do see that fans and myself and like, you know, even, um, talking to like some of my older friends who could still get into punk rock records is people really seem to appreciate this. The lyrics, like my friend Spencer Ackerman is a writer at the guardian said like, this is the ultimate lyrics for being an aged punk. And oh, wow. what, are some songs or lyrics that really have been like the ones you go back to going, I want to hit that mark one day. Is there anything in mind? Yeah. Um, geez, that's really great, man. Uh, oh, geez. 
I, I should have prepped for this one. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, I should no, have no, 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 because that's really that's a really beautiful question, and I and I know I'm I'm going to I'm going to to not nail it as good as I should. I don't, uh, that's so just. I, I maybe maybe I maybe I don't. I I suppose. I mean, like, or, or maybe I have like a trillion, and they're all blocking each other mm. in my head right now. It's just like when I, typically, man, like you know, when I sit down, this is how I've sort of broken down my formula. And I, I know that this doesn't answer your question directly. Yeah, I, and I apologize fine. for that. Yeah, but like when I sit down to write songs, and and I have said this publicly before, so I, I apologize if if you've read it. But no. like, I sort of I think to myself, okay, I'm scoring a John Hughes film, right? This is the mindset I put myself in, and I'm like, okay. Now, what sort of chord progression and melody would, would Westerberg try to put behind that? And then I get that, and then I'm like, now, what, what words would Bukowski put on top of that melody? Huh. You know, And I'm like, that to me is sort of – and look, that's a real lofty mark to try to hit, oh. right? So I'm certainly not putting myself in that company. But I'm like – but in my head, that's at least the, the – that's the bullseye, right? So yeah, I mean I think I, I, would, I would almost – you know, it, it's 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 almost like I would think of like Bukowski's poetry almost more mm. so than a song lyric when when I'm thinking about writing. But but yeah, but yeah, that that's like the if you know if I was writing a sort of mathematical formula about break breaking down my songwriting process, I would suppose it's in in my head and in in my thinking and my sort of you know left of the dial logic, right? Mm. It's 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 that like it's that John Hughes films. Westerberg Bukowski sort of thing. Oh, that's that's really great insight, actually, because the Bukowski thing seems to make a lot of sense. Now, right on, man. So you know they always say John Lennon hated the sound of his voice, so that's why there was always effects. Right. There is so much effects on your vocals. I love the way they make the songs feel as a producer and engineer. Uh, Was there any thought behind that? Yeah, I mean it. It probably echoes that Lennon thing, right? Mm. I just yeah, man. I you know, and I, I wanted I wanted to treat my voice. In a couple of ways, right? I, I don't mean to keep referencing uh, other people, but I'm, I'm no, such no, a no, 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 rock and roll sort of kid, you know? I, I read this thing with, with Paul McCartney once, mm. and it was just like, before he cut like vocals on like Helter Skelter, like he went outside and he just screamed at the top of his lungs for 30 minutes to make his voice, to basically damage his, his throat temporarily mm. before he cut that because he wanted that raw sort of quality to the vocal take. And I was like, that sort of, you know, raw, beat up, broken, fighting to stay alive sound. Mm. I was like, that feels right for the stuff I'm writing, you know? So, you know, so, so, so yeah, I suppose that's a lot of the, the technical thinking, Mm. you know, behind like how I'm approaching vocals on this, because really, man, I try to just sing like Richard Butler from the furs and like, yeah. And then I, I, (laughs) and then I, you know, I, I just, I utilize like, I, I I just like utilize I sing through like a like a uh, like an amplifier uh-huh. you know like a, a Vox AC30 you know yeah and that's uh so yeah man Richard Butler through an AC30 is, is is pretty much how I'm achieving that I had the strangest experience of you know Richard Butler you know obviously uh, not not the same age group as him you and I uh, Richard ended up going to the Institute of Audio Research and, you know became an engineer and he worked at Electric Lady for years when he went to the Institute of Audio Research I went to college with him oh that's and it amazing was the weirdest thing because you know I, my father was a big psychedelic furs fan and I'm telling him this and he's looking at me like okay yeah whatever you say whatever <laughs> you say and, you know we didn't have camera phones back then and it's like <laughs> it's a graduating class and it was like a very funny thing. 
big of like, yeah, he like, it was so, so weird. And I sadly didn't appreciate their records when I was 18 in college. And then now right, I kick right. myself when I got into them later in my life. Like, right. oh, uh, I could have found out so many cool things. <laughs> um, Still very cool, man. That's that's really cool. So with your musical taste, what is a surprising influence that, like, I think you wear some influences very hard on your sleeve. What is something you think maybe people wouldn't expect from you? That's a big influence. Yeah, I, I, I sort of alluded to it before, but like, like I think like like Brian Wilson is an enormous influence mm. on me. I, I don't I don't know how much that bleeds out in what I do, and and and, and maybe that's surprising. Maybe it isn't. I, I I guess I would tend to like if you listen to our records, maybe that's that's a bit out of left field to mm. think of how huge I'm into. Like like I think of like a Brian Wilson or like Stephen Merritt from like the Magnetic mm. Fields or like I suppose I suppose like. Morrissey and Marr aren't quite as surprising. Um, mm. Yeah, I don't know if I have any like wild surprises. Like, there's not like some you know little known like jazz artist that I you know really draw. You know, mm. I, I, it's it's all sort of in the same world, I suppose. But like 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 Brian Wilson was really continues to be like a massive influence on me. I, I'm not I'm not sure what it was, and maybe it's even more in that like approach to things, right? How you know. We, we sort of think back, we talk about moving from, from like bubblegum to avant-garde, mm. right? It's like Beatles and the Beach Boys did it, right? But it was the, it was the bravery in that. Like, you, like you're making these sort of pop surf songs, albeit intricate in their harmonies and mm. things like that. But, it, but at the core, these sort of top 40 sort of things. And then you're just like, you just decide to totally just go wildly off in another direction and sort of follow this true thing that's rattling around in your head whether or not that's going to be commercially successful or not like and, and and beach boys at that point are like massively successful so i can't imagine the sort of pressure he he had to endure to take that leap right and then still did it in like changed popular music right yeah. there's something yeah. incredible in that to me like and then of course there's just you know the harmonies and the chord mm. the chord voicings and all, all, like all the really incredible stuff that he did that really has an impact on me right or like like with Stephen Merritt where like mm. you know they're more like magnetic fields being my I, I suppose my favorite thing that he's done right mm -hmm. like being more acoustically based and all that stuff but like his approach to lyric writing that sort of like yeah. sort of dark humor and just but really smart and witty and just this really expressive vocabulary you know things like that have like super impacted me although no one would ever see like beach slang and magnetic fields being like playing a show together. Right. Totally, you totally. Know, I, I get it. But like, but his influences cuts really deep in me for sure. Yeah. No, I, I, I can see it even with some of the moodiness of some of the tracks that, that you're saying that of, uh, you know, as, as somebody who's also a huge fan of uh, his. So can you tell us a little bit actually about the studio? So it's like, I think like, you know, it's one of those funny things is like, I actually, it was very hard for me to find any info on, where you guys record. Can you give us some more information on that? Oh yeah, sure, man. It's just, uh, it's just right across the river, you know, from Philadelphia, mm -hmm. it's in New Jersey. Our friend Dave, like it's, it's him and a friend of his, Steve, who owned the place. So, you know, we basically come in and make records with a friend. He's a, uh, yeah, man, it's just this sort of tiny spot, you know, kind of an unorthodox little building, just, you know, you, you drive past it and never even know, right. That it's a recording studio, but it just, it's one of those weirdo sort of freak in nature places where it's just, however, like the way this room is shaped is just, it's just meant for sound, you know, mm. it just works, you know, and, and it wasn't built to be a studio. It just sort of, it was just born into it, you know, <laughs> it just like became one. And yeah, man, that's it. It's a really unassuming little spot. You know, I, we, uh, 
you know, we sleep here when we make the record, sleeping bags on the floor is just doing it. You know, it's like, it's got a really great, like, energy. You know, the town's really small and sort of, you know, quiet. It just, yeah. I don't, yeah, I, I don't. I don't know that there's a whole lot to say, man. It's no, just, just that, a well, little unassuming it's, spot with a good friend of ours. You know, we get to make records with him. It's great. That's awesome. I think yeah. that's a, that's another thing of like you know you see so many bands when after like LP one they're like oh I don't want to sleep in the studio in a fucking sleeping bag and right right right. I, I mean if there's one thing I will tell you it's like you know it's another thing of like making records for all these years is like when when a band's live in that record and you're sitting there and you are kind of slumming it whether it's sleeping bags couches or you stay at the studio. There is a mindset that gets you into compared to the just like commuting home every day type of thing and doing it as if it's like your part-time job. Oh man, without a doubt, right? So like, you know, you're becoming this like little gang of like, you're in this little little fight together, right? It mm-hmm. really, it really, really steadies up a band together. Like, you know, it like, and there's something about that, like, right? The like after LP1, the like continuing the like, you know, rough it as it were, right? It's just like, keeps the blade sharp, you know, Mm. you don't start to dole out and, you know, start having these expectations or thoughts of privilege, right? It's like rock and roll to me is blue collar work, you know, Mm. it's like, and I love that about it. I want it to be sweaty and I want it to be, I want my fingers to be calloused. And I, I, you know, I, if it starts to get posh, I just feel like it's just, you know, the work sort of starts to just not be so good and like the work's really all that matters to me you know Mm. so it's like yeah man i like it on two parts i feel like we we just we get closer as a unit every time we make a record because of how we choose to live when we make it and then like like i said man it just keeps that sort of hunger and like drive that i you know i think rock and roll needs you know so yeah man If you enjoyed this episode, please remember the golden rule of the internet, that if you enjoy something you got for free, please tweet, Facebook, share, or tell your friends about it in whatever way you like to do that. Please check out Noise Creator's website and take a look around. We have tons of interviews, discographies, Spotify playlists from all the best producers out there on our service. If you're unsure about who your band should work with, we can help you get the best producer fit for your record. To keep up with us, follow at Noise Creators on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Tumblr, or Facebook. This podcast can also be found wherever podcasts are found, including iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. I can be found on Twitter at jessecannon or at jessecannon.com. Again, please help spread the word about this podcast and what Noise Creators does so we can keep this going.